Hi, everyone. Welcome to the January 21st, 2022 uh, edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, let's get to it. This week, Colorado State House Democrats proposed a resolution supporting the federal voters' rights bill. The resolution stirred up debate with Republican lawmakers with a majority of the GOP state representatives voting in favor of amendments that thanked Coloradans who attended the January 6th rally in D.C. and called for an investigation to President Biden's election victory. House Minority Leader Hugh McKean rebuked members of his own party over the amendments, stating that the accusations of fraud in the 2020 presidential election are part of what's dividing our country. Patty Cahoon, as always, we start with you. This could have been an opportunity for uh, state house Republicans to make an argument about the resolution about a federal bill that was superfluous at best. Instead, it turned into basically a highlight film of the divisions currently in the state Republican Party. What did you think of the mess we saw? Well, that McCain really stepped up. That was good because what you saw was incredible. The percentage of Republicans who were more than willing to say they doubted the results of the election, congratulating people like Ron Hanks or uh, guilt by association John Eastman, who had been there on January 6th. John Eastman, the CU professor at the time, who seemed to have engineered the legal strategy for how Pence could say that Biden that Biden had lost the election and Trump had won, and wisely, Pence didn't follow that. We also have Jenna Ellis, a former Weld County prosecutor, who was Trump's attorney, who has now been asked to come speak before the crew, before the people investigating this in Congress, because she also was involved in this. There is widespread evidence that Trump's people really were trying to screw with the election. We're going to see a, a, a grand jury in Georgia looking into this, too. Far more widespread evidence of that than of actual voter problems. So this was appalling behavior at the State House. Good for the Democrats. I just loved Alec Garnett going, holy moly, how could you actually think in Colorado that you would have the majority of the Republicans side with that? Also join us, Marianne Goodland, Chief State House Reporter for Colorado Politics, and also just learned as you walked in today, the new Dean of the Capitol Press Corps. That's a significant uh, uh, title of, uh, of great honor, so congratulations on that. Marianne, you were there when all this went down and know all the different details. What do we need to know about the reaction to this situation? I talked to one person who uh, commented that they thought the Democrats actually had set a trap for the Republicans by introducing this resolution. If that was the case, it worked to perfection. You, and the people who responded to it used it as an opportunity to campaign from the well of the House, which is something I think we're going to see a lot of in this 2022 session, given how many people are now running for Congress from the Colorado legislature in both chambers. Uh, the, and, and in the House, that, that is the people you mentioned, Representative Ron Hanks, who's running for the U.S. Senate primary, Dave Williams, who is challenging uh, Doug Lamborn for the CD5 seat. But the other thing that, that struck me is the division within the Republican Party, while 15 out of 24, and that was the lowest, um, voted for some of these resolutions, those 15, the majority of those uh, 15 are people who oppose Hugh McKean. Uh, I would say maybe 10, uh, 10 of those 24 or 10 of those 15 uh, were the ones who opposed to Hugh McKean's election as uh, minority leader. So it's not, it was, it, it was more of a surprise about who voted for it, who had been sort of in McKean's wing of the caucus uh, than the, the other 10 who you would have expected to vote that way, in, no matter what. 
Join us via Skype. Michael Fields, president of the Advanced Colorado Institute. Michael, it's great to have you back in Colorado Inside Out. Now, it seems right now, both with just the fact that we're in a midterm for a Democratic president and that there are a lot of issues providing strong headwinds for, or I guess it would be tailwinds, strong benefits for state Republicans this year. If they followed a basic script, boy, it looks great. And then you have something like this. Is this going to haunt state Republicans in a year that a whole lot of things are going their way? I think we'll see if that ends up happening. You know, this is day four of the session that this uh, was brought up. And, and Democrats, uh, they were setting a political trap. This wasn't about you know, unity or anything like that. Uh, the problem is that some Republicans decided to set their own traps and then jump in them. Uh, and I think we have to be clear, like January 6th was a, a dark day for our country. Uh, it shouldn't be talked about any other way. In Colorado, we have a, a good electoral system. Um, you know, could it always be better? Sure. But I think it, it is really good. And, and so Republicans do need to stay focused on uh, what they outlined, you know, six months ago. And then the first day of session, which is that commitment to Colorado, talking about affordability, talking about public safety, talking about education. Uh, I mean, you even have the governor coming out in the state of the state sounding more like a Republican than a Democrat. And so I think you look at Biden's uh, poor approval ratings, you look at, you know, inflation's at 7%, uh, violent crime is the highest it's been in 25 years. Uh, I think Polis is worried about the prospects that his, his party has later this year. The question is, are Republicans going to take advantage of that? And relitigating re the 2020 uh, election is not a winner for Republicans. Focusing on issues that people care about uh, is a winner. So I think we'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. And also join us via Skype, Ian Thomas Tafoya, a community organizer, environmental expert. Ian, it's great to have you back on the program. You know, uh, as Michael noted, it's the first week of the legislature. It usually comes with a lot of theatrics, uh, and it's hard to keep up with because it's going to be a crazy 120 days. So I don't know what the attention span will be for something like this, but what did you take away from the circus we saw this week? Well, I think the circus was also added to with climate rally that I participated in on the state of the state just two years after Polis made the decision uh, to arrest 38 uh, activists raising their concerns about drilling next to schools. These same communities that were impacted uh, with the Swift factory, uh, both Somali and Latino community members. But honestly, this with the Republicans, I just I don't understand why we continue to give them any energy. They're on a path for destruction to lose the middle. I would rather ignore these kind of these games that they're playing. It's pretty clear that their own party is just you know broken on this. People have made up the public opinion around January 6th. We know what happened with the elections. And if they think this is going to put them on a path to winning the middle around the state of Colorado, where I've traveled to, it's just simply not. I would rather we stop giving them media attention. And to me, this is them grasping for straws. They haven't come up with the solutions for the greatest problems that are facing our communities. And if this is their double down for election year, it spells bad news for them in my book. Moving on, looking at COVID headlines this week, Colorado schools have reported to have, have had less than one-tenth of the students they lost in 2020 re-enroll this year. <laughs> Meanwhile, other Denver students staged a walkout as a follow-up to a petition demanding more safety precautions and access to protective equipment. In addition, the state's rollout of the free masks program hit various technical and supply snags. Uh, 
Uh, Marianne, everybody wants to see the light in the end of the tunnel on all issues about this, whether it impacts schools or businesses. And while gratefully we're not seeing the, the uh, you know, kind of devastating impact on hospitals, it's hitting other industries, whether it be restaurants or you, you walk into a, a grocery store and empty shelves might be because they just can't get healthy people there to, to stock them. Uh, when you're looking at these different headlines, what comes out to you as something that probably needs some more attention? I, what comes out to me is, is the overall topic of the great resignation. Uh, you have, you, and, and as a, a side part of that, you have parents who are still staying at home to homeschool their kids. You have uh, parents who are, or, or people who are, the birth rate is declining at least, and, that, and DPS has said that's part of the reason, that they are now looking at closing or consolidating schools which tends to provoke a lot of neighborhood uh, angst and, and, and a lot of outcry. Uh, with regard to the mask situation, is there anything in this pandemic that's gone the way it's supposed to, whether it's local, state, federal government, and it doesn't matter who's, which party is in charge, it always seems to, something always seems to go wrong. These free masks to me feels much more like a feel-good kind of thing that is going to have minimal impact. If you want to wear a mask, generally you, you do. And, and if you've stockpiled masks, um, like an, I know a lot of folks have, this, this isn't going to change the game. And those who don't want to wear them aren't going to wear them. What, I, I don't even see what the point of that is. Yeah. Michael, as a young father, I know, and, and just as a, a person active in the political community, education is important to you. Uh, are we seeing something of a trend building that may or may not be associated just with the pandemic when we see these enrollment rates? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have four young kids. Two of them are in Douglas County schools. I'm a former teacher on the board of a charter school. I think you're seeing a fundamental shift uh, in, in education in general. And I think the pandemic uh, you know, brought a lot of that into focus, given that people started thinking about, okay, now we're sitting at home. Uh, what school do we want to go back to? What does this look like? Uh, I know charter schools have even more of a wait list than they used to, uh, where you have some district schools that are consolidating or, or going to be closing. Uh, I think, you know, there's more people homeschooling right now. I, I'm somebody who believes in, in all of the above approach. You know, whatever is best for the kid, for the we want quality options. Uh, you know, our, our family decides to go to the local district school. Other people choose something else. But I definitely think the pandemic has brought education more into the home and, and people thinking about it. And I think you're going to see a, a larger shift, uh, you know, in, in the upcoming years. I don't know what that ends up looking like, but education is a huge focus, even more than it normally is uh, in this pandemic world. And it seems like something like this, we're seeing reactions of how government and at all different kinds of levels, as Marianne mentioned, leadership with uh, various parties and how they're interacting with community and if that's going well or not, whether it be at schools or industry or just community folks uh, overall, just trying to get masks out. When you're seeing the various headlines from this week, what stands out to you? Well, you know, this conversation was, it's a big one. And they spent a very considerable amount of time at the Denver Public School board meeting last night with the superintendent talking about this. You know, we have to talk about cost of housing and how that's led to relocation during the pandemic, people moving. Yes, there is conversation about declining birth rates. There are some really great burgeoning ideas about how we can continue to use these community spaces for community good. You know, the activism by the youth, I think is great. You know, we they last night also uh, they had a climate action proposal that was brought forward by youth. And so I think 
getting youth engaged in the public process that's working, uh, that's that's it working. That's democracy working. But we need to find ways in which we can continue to keep these kids engaged and they can be mentored by other activists so that they're, they're improving in their ability and they can make a bigger impact once they're out of schools. I would agree about the supply chains. It just seems like everything has a little bit going wrong during the pandemic and we just have to deal with it. I do support testing in public health and I wanna encourage everyone to go get vaccinated. Well, well said. Uh, Patty, it, it feels like deja vu all over again. Uh, empty shelves, uh, some sort of free product from the government program is hitting snags. Uh, and here we are talking about schools trying to handle various enrollment rates. Uh, are, are we seeing anything that's working so far or are we just seeing the problems? Well, we've seen certainly greater awareness. I mean, you can walk out, you can barely fall over without hitting a needle and getting inoculated. So if you want to get vaccinated, you can. And that's very different from what it was at this time last year when everyone was just trying to figure out some way to get a vaccine. So that's progress. You remember in the early days, we couldn't get masks at all. And now you can, and you can get the N95 masks, which David would tell you are far more effective. Although that rollout didn't work. They originally were talking about fire departments and different places you could go. And I talked to one fireman who said they were just inundated with people and they had no masks. Ultimately, I think you'll be able to get them at libraries. But that's a benefit. One of the problems is it is still really tricky to get tested. And if you find a test, you don't get your results very quickly. They're so behind. So now we know what to do. We just can't do it. More power to the kids who are taking their future in their own hands. They're educating themselves and they're taking action. That's great that students are doing that. I wish a lot of their parents and other adults were also as effective. Excel Energy is proposing a $182 million rate increase, one of the largest increases to date. During a hearing on Wednesday, speakers asked the Colorado Public Utilities Commission to reject the change, saying low-income families will be amongst those most heavily impacted. Michael, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, I certainly understand the speaker's points about low-income families, but frankly, all income families can be pretty impacted. There's a lot of things that price have increased, and I understand costs have gone up for everybody, including energy companies, but the timing of this feels uh, like a, a, something out of a Charles Dickens book when it comes to when a big company would come in to raise the rates on something. Uh, what do you take away from this announcement and what's being done about it at the local level? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not uh, overly surprising given the fact that energy costs have gone up in our country. Um, there's also the the cost of of transitioning uh, to more renewable sources, like Excel has been promising for a long time. But the burden of that is coming uh, at a bad time, and it does hurt low-income people the most. But it hurts all families in Colorado. You know, this is is, is at a time when you have grocery prices are up, gas prices are up. You know, we know the housing costs, the issue that we have in Colorado, and then you're adding this 6% increase to energy bills. Uh, it seems like a lot for people and, and, and wages are up a little bit, but not as much as inflation. And so people don't feel like they're able to deal with this. And so I think you have this situation where Excel announces this, people get upset, they show up, uh, and Excel becomes the target of it, uh, and you know they're always going to point out how many how much profits they have, and 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 that I'm not going to defend Excel. I just think this is a broader conversation about inflation, about the economy right now, um, and and really you know it, it is it's a tough time on on families in Colorado, and hopefully uh, you know some of this stuff ends up getting allevi alleviated uh, soon. But I think energy prices are just one of many facets uh, of issues right now. 
Ian, it's always good to see people using their you know, First Amendment rights to speak out in government and actively say this is how it should go with the Public Utilities Commission. Do you think we'll see other officials getting involved to add to those voices? It's one thing to hear from speakers at a, at a meeting. It's another thing to see other elected leaders or community officials get involved. What do you think? Well, I do think that these issues have a lot of elected leaders who've been involved for all the reasons that Michael just listed is why we need the Build Back Better agenda, all these other issues that we're facing, these rising costs and impact on communities. What I will say is the elected leaders are important, but let's talk about how this public hearing actually took place from 4 to 6 p.m. This isn't the time that's the most accessible for low-income people who are impacted by that. That's why we work so diligently with my job at Green Latinos on the Public Utilities Modernization Bill known as uh, SB 21272. We restructured, uh, we're restructuring the PUC, including environmental justice concerns, the kind of outreach. I think it's generally known they have the worst website all the way around. Um, but let's not forget that Excel wanted 13% increase, not the 6%, so nearly double that. They continue to make bad investments in coal uh, and in gas, knowing that renewable energies are so important. What I want people to take away is they need to get involved because the energy system is causing our problems with climate crisis, water, all of these, and it's also the solution. And so we need more voices at the table. Patty, do you think because this impacts so many more people, even though I think most people wouldn't know how to go get in front of the Public Utilities Commission, is it going to attract more attention? Well, it's already attracting attention. If you've been paying your utility bills for the last few months, they are not dropping. They are already going up substantially. I mean, Excel will say maybe 15%, but I've talked to people who are saying 33%, and it hasn't been a cold winter. It hasn't been a time when you are really running that furnace hot. So there, we're already seeing far bigger increases than what we're talking about for inflation. People are going to pay attention because they are getting really irritated with how much everything is going up. But it is undeniable that these bills are really going up much more than 6%. Marianne, is there a response on uh, Capitol Hill about this issue? Not yet, but it wouldn't surprise me. You have to take into consideration that the lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are looking at, at affordability and, of course, how they get to that affordability. Uh, they have very different solutions about that. But if you're looking to lower a gas tax, uh, a couple of pennies increase on a gas tax and, you know, maybe saving $10 on registering a new business if you're going to start a new business. And then you're facing a 15% a increase in your utility bills. That's a kitchen table issue. I don't think people are going to care so much about the $10 business license fee. They're going to care about that, that 15% increase in their, in their utility bills. And that wipes out every affordability measure that either side is working on. So I would not be at all surprised if you don't hear something from the legislature about it. This week, Governor Polis responded to Nebraska's plan to build a canal in the South Platte River that would allow Nebraska to receive more water from northeast Colorado. Polis said he was open to the idea but needed more details. Ian, we start with you on this one. You've done an awful lot of work in this area. In fact, I want to give you kudos for a recent award. You were, you were named a National River Hero by the National River Network, so congratulations on that. But what do we need to know about this? I, I know a little bit that it, it pertains to a 1923 law. As usual, water issues go back 100 or more years, especially in Colorado. But does Governor Polis need to get serious about handling this particular problem? 
Well, thank you again for congratulating me on that award. I'm very honored to have received that from my peers in the industry across the country. Yes, these go back to old compacts when our science wasn't as good, when we didn't understand drought and how much water we were going to have there. I've, I guess I've really hit on this a lot today, but this it comes back to climate crisis. If you're not aware, NASA is predicting a multi-decade mega drought if we don't change course with Colorado in the bullseye. We're talking drought levels that are incredibly extreme for farmers. So does it make sense that whether you're in Nebraska or Colorado, that you're going to double down on some sort of projects that are going to allow you to develop your water to be able to feed people and keep your economy going? Absolutely. You know, the water development projects here in Colorado, they total something like $20 billion. If we were to build them all, we have to fund about $3 billion, we assume ourselves. If you're not aware, the online gambling has raised uh, a lot of money, uh, $12 million in taxes. There's recycling water on the on the horizon. But the most important thing you need to understand is that this water conversation is going to keep going and it's going to deepen as the crisis for climate does too. Patty, water issues are extraordinarily important in Colorado and probably also extraordinarily difficult to talk about. It's, you're talking about laws from the 1870s and uh, impacting rivers where it's hard to get people's heads around it, but this could be a big deal. Do you see more attention to this coming in the, in the weeks and months ahead? In the very dry summer ahead, yes, we're going to be hearing about it a lot. Uh, it is true that sports betting is allow is some of the money from that is going to the water plan. I would argue the gambling institutions got a great deal. It's not as much money as we really need to fund that water plan, and maybe the legislature will relook at that. But um, we're also looking at the Colorado River Agreement. That's 100 years old this year. It's a year older than the Nebraska Compact. We have so many of these old agreements that we need to look at and consider because Colorado is the source of the water, and then the other states are relying on it. You want to do some sharing, but you also don't want your next-door neighbor to take everything from you. So we have a lot of big issues coming up, and they are really complicated to discuss. Marianne, we see Governor Polis out on this issue. Do you think lawmakers will join him? I think they already are. I think they're already talking about it. And I've had several interesting conversations with some of the folks who are a little more knowledgeable about this. This whole thing dates back to a 2016 law that was a study of the South Platte River and, store, and new storage ideas. Now, in 2020, a report came out with the unfortunate uh, acronym of SPROG, uh, that uh, discusses some of the options for saving water on the South Platte. The, th the thing is, Colorado has, is in no danger of, of violating the compact. Uh, the state has been sending 350,000 acre-feet of water to Nebraska over and above what the compact requires, and they've been doing it for years. And, uh, you know, when I first heard about Ricketts raising the, the issue, I was like, what has he been smoking? You know, it just, it, it just came off as kind of an odd thing. There are a couple of storage projects that are, that are sort of in very, very early stages. None of them would approach the 350,000 acre-feet of water. And just for a, an explanation of, of how much is an acre-foot, if you cover mile high, with the, the infield of Mile High with one foot of water, that's roughly an acre foot, 350,000 acre feet would take you up 66 miles uh, to where Elon Musk and, and uh, Jeff Bezos took their flights and then unfortunately decided to come back after that. So, you know, at, for right now, there really is not any danger of Colorado violating that compact. But drought, of course, changes the conversations. So, and, and I do believe that there, that will be a, a big topic of conversation in the legislature this year. The other thing, though, is 
given how much uh, the legislature has put into the Colorado Water Plan, which is supposed to drive some of this, I don't think Ricketts has anything to worry about. Michael, wrap it up for us. Yeah, so if you, uh, you want to see people in Colorado get upset, tell them that another state is trying to take their water. Uh, I think a lot of people, this caught their attention. It's obviously a complicated legal issue. Uh, Marianne you know, went through the details, which I think were really good. The, the encouraging thing to me was I saw uh, both Senator Jerry Sonnenberg and uh, Greg Walcher write about this and say, you know what, um, you know, instead of this be turning into a hostile thing between Nebraska and Colorado, it really is about storage and that there's enough water uh, for both states if we uh, increase storage. And so I think working on that, having legislators, the governor, uh, figure this out, I think would be very smart uh, given how important water is to, to both of our states. Well, let's go to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, we are a few weeks beyond the Marshall Fire, but the ramifications continue. Most recently, AG Phil Weiser went after four different companies for price gouging on rental units, which is just as appalling. It's not like rent is cheap anyway, but it's just appalling that they took advantage of this. Mary Ann. Uh, a, a big, uh, big wet slap to uh, King Supers and the Kroger company for running ads during the uh, the recent the strike, which we're hoping now is concluded, uh, saying what a great place King Supers and Kroger is to work for, and and having their employees who are probably management uh, talking about how much they love their jobs while their employees were out on the picket lines in some fairly frigid wet weather this week. Mike, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Yeah, so I think people want consistency when it comes to elected officials uh, and their policy positions. And, and the latest time that didn't happen was this uh, flip-flop in the U.S. Senate on the filibuster by a lot of these senators changing their positions. But it's something that both parties do, and I think it undermines uh, trust in the system. Ian, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. I uh, want to finish up by going back to Excel, who is having record-breaking profits they're sending to Wall Street on the backs of Main Street, while also continuing environmental injustice, in particular to Latinos in Colorado from their plants. Time to say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty? The arts groups in Denver and Colorado, which keep trying and because of COVID, wind up having to cancel and postpone productions. Support them any way you can. Marianne. Uh, I'm going back to King Supers and the union. Thank you very much for, for this tentative agreement on, on resolving this strike. I think King Supers is probably in the metro area, certainly one of the largest grocery stores. So it's going to be a relief to everyone that we can get back to doing what we would normally do. Here, here. Michael, say something nice about somebody. So I want to give credit to the governor uh, for proposing a collective bargaining bill uh, for local and public employees. Uh, public uh, employee uh, uh, unions are very different than private sector ones. Uh, and I think this bill would have been overreached by the state. So I want to give uh, the governor some credit for pumping the brakes on it. Ian, we go to you to say something nice. I'm back with uh, President Kim Cordova and Local 7 for their essential worker strike at Kroger. I come from a union family. And I will add to say something nice. Uh, you can't let mom's birthday come this weekend without saying something nice. So mom, happy birthday. And it's a special one this weekend. Uh, and uh, all, all, the, all the right uh, love and recognition from your favorite kid. Don't worry, Gene and Joe don't watch the show. Uh, for everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, thank you so much for watching. And uh, we will see you next week. For everybody here, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night.